Chapter Five of Deephaven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush in Marquette, Michigan, July 2008. Deephaven by Sarah Orrin Jewett. Chapter Five: The Captains. I should consider my account of Deephaven society incomplete if I did not tell you something of the ancient mariners, who may be found every pleasant morning sunning themselves like turtles on one of the wharves. Sometimes there was a considerable group of them, but the less constant members of the club were older than the rest, and the epidemics of rheumatism in town were sadly frequent. We found that it was etiquette to call them each captain, but I think some of the Deephaven men took the title by breft upon arriving at a proper age. They sat close together because so many of them were deaf, and when we were lucky enough to overhear the conversation, it seemed to concern their adventures at sea, or the freight carried out by the Sea Duck, the Ocean Rover, or some other Deephaven ship. The particulars of the voyage and its disasters and successes being as familiar as the wanderings of the children of Israel to an old parson, there were sometimes violent altercations when the captains differed as to the tonnage of some craft that had been a prey to the winds and waves, dry-rot, or barnacles fifty years ago. The old fellows puffed away at little black pipes with short stems, and otherwise consumed tobacco in fabulous quantities. It is needless to say that they gave an immense deal of attention to the weather. We used to wish we could join this agreeable company— but we found that the appearance of an outsider caused a disapproving silence, and that the meeting was evidently not to be interfered with. Once we were impertinent enough to hide ourselves for a while just round the corner of the warehouse, but we were afraid or ashamed to try it again, though the conversation was inconceivably edifying. Captain Isaac Horn, the eldest and wisest of all, was discoursing upon some cloth he had purchased once in Bristol, which the shopkeeper delayed sending until just as they were ready to weigh anchor. "'I happen to take a look at that cloth,' said the captain in a loud, droning voice, "'and as quick as I got sight of it, I spoke unpleasant of that swindling English fellow and the crew. They stood back. I was dreadful high-tempered in them days, mind ye, and I had the gig manned. We was out in the stream, just ready to sail.' "'Twas no use waiting any longer for the wind to change, and we was going north about. "'I went ashore, and when I walks into his shop, you never see a creature so wilted. "'You see, the miserable sculpin thought I'd never stop to open the goods, and it was a chance I did, mind ye. "'Lor,' says he, grinning and turning the color of a biled lobster, "'I suppose ye were a-standing out to sea by this time.' "'No,' says I, "'and I've got my men out here on the quay, "'a-landing that cloth o' yourn, "'and if you don't send just what I bought and paid for down there "'to go back in the gig within fifteen minutes, "'I'll take ye by the collar and drop ye into the dock. "'I was twice the size of him, mind ye, and master strong. "'Don't ye like it?' says he, edging round. "'I'll change it for ye then.' "'Terrible polite he was.' "'Like it,' says I. "'It looks as if it were built of dog's hair and divil's wool, "'kicked together by spiders, and it's coarser than Irish freeze. Three threads to an armful,' says I. "'This was evidently one of the captain's favorite stories, "'for we heard an approving grumble from the audience. 
In the course of a walk inland we made a new acquaintance, Captain Lant, whom we had noticed at church, and who sometimes joined the company on the wharf. We had been walking through the woods, and coming out to his fields we went on to the house for some water. There was no one at home but the captain, who told us cheerfully that he should be pleased to serve us, though his women-folks had gone off to a funeral, the other side of the point. He brought out a pitcherful of milk, and after we had drunk some, we all sat down together in the shade. The captain brought an old flag-bottomed chair from the woodhouse, and sat down facing Kate and me, with an air of certainty that he was going to hear something new and make some desirable new acquaintances, and also that he could tell something it would be worth our while to hear. He looked more and more like a well-to-do old English sparrow, and chippered faster and faster. "'Queer ye should know I'm a sailor so quick. Why, I've been a farm in it this twenty years. Have to go down to the shore and take a day's fishing every hand's turn, though to keep the old hulk clear of barnacles. There, I do wish I live nigher the shore, where I could see the folks I know and talk about what's been a-going on. You don't know anything about it, you don't?' but it's trying to a man to be called old Cap'n Lant, and so to speak, be forgot when there's anything stirrin', and be called Granther by clumsy creatures goin' on fifty and sixty, who can't do no more work to-day than I can. And then the women folks keeps a-tellin' me to be cheerful and not fall, and as how I'm too old to go out fishin', and when they want to be soft-spoken, they say as how they don't see as I fail, and how wonderful I keep my hearin'. I never did want to farm it, but she always took it to heart when I was off on the voyage, and this farm and some considerable means beside came to her from her brother, and they all sought to and gave me no peace of mind till I sold out my share of the Analyza and come ashore for good. I did keep an eighth of the Pactolus, and I was ship's husband for a long spell, but she never was heard from on her last voyage to Singapore. I was the lonesomest man when I first come ashore that ever you see— "'Well, you are master hands to walk, if you come way up from the Brandon house. "'I wish the women was at home. "'No, Miss Brandon, why, yes. "'And I remember all her brothers and sisters and her father and mother. "'I can see em now coming into meetin', proud as Lucifer and straight as a mast. "'Every one of em. "'Miss Catherine, she always had her butter from this very farm. "'Some of the folks used to go down every Saturday, "'and my wife, she's been in the house a hundred times, I suppose.' "'So you're Hathaway Brandon's granddaughter?' to Kate. "'Why, he and I have been out fishing together many's the time. "'He and Chantry, his next younger brother. "'Henry, he was a disappointment. "'He went to furrin parts and turned out a Catholic priest. "'I suppose you've heard. "'I never was so set again, Mr. Henry, as some folks was. "'He was the pleasantest spoken of the whole in em. "'You do look like the Brandons. "'You really favor em considerable.' "'Well, I'm pleased to see you, I'm sure.' "'We asked him many questions about the old people, "'and found he knew all the family histories, "'and told them with great satisfaction. "'We found he had his pet stories, "'and it must have been gratifying "'to have an entirely new and fresh audience. "'He was adroit in leading the conversation around "'to a point where the stories would come in appropriately, "'and we helped him as much as possible.' In a small neighborhood, all the people knew each other's stories and experiences by heart, and I have no doubt the old captain had been snubbed many times on beginning a favorite anecdote. There was a story which he told us that first day, which he assured us was strictly true, and it is certainly a remarkable instance of the influence of one mind upon another at a distance. 
It seems to me worth preserving at any rate, and as we heard it from the old man, with a solemn voice and serious expression and quaint gestures, it was singularly impressive. "'When I was a youngster,' said Captain Lant, "'I was an orphan, and I was bound out to old Mr. Pelita Dawes' folks, over on the Ridge Road. It was in the time of the last war, and he had a nephew, Ben Dighton, a dreadful high-strung wild fellow, who had gone off on a privateer. The old man, he said everything by Ben. He would disoblige his own boys any day to please him. This was in his latter days, and he used to have spells of wandering and being out of his head. And he used to call for Ben and talk sort of foolish about him, till they would tell him to stop. Ben never did a stroke of work for him, either, but he was a handsome fellow, and had a way with him when he was good-natured. One night old Pelita had been very bad all day, and was getting quieted down, and it was after supper. We sat round in the kitchen, and he lay in the bedroom, opening out. There were some pitch-knots blazing, and the light shone in on the bed, and all of a sudden something made me look up and look in, and there was the old man, setting up straight, with his eyes shining at me like a cat's. "'Stop em, he says. "'Stop em and his two sons run in then to catch hold of him, for they thought he was beginning with one of his wild spells, but he fell back on the bed and began to cry like a baby. "'Oh, dear me,' says he, "'they've hung him, hung him right up to the yard-arm. "'Oh, they oughtn't to have done it, cut him down quick. "'He didn't think. He means well, Ben does. "'He was hasty. Oh, my God, I can't bear to see him swing round by the neck.' It's poor Ben hung up to the yard arm. Let me alone, I say. Andrew and Moses, they were holding him with all their might, and they were both hardy men, but he most got away from them once or twice, and he screeched and howled like a mad creature, and then he would cry again like a child. He was worn out after a while and lay back quiet and said over and over, Poor Ben, and hung at the yard arm. And he told the neighbors next day, but nobody noticed him much, and he seemed to forget it as his mind came back. All that summer he was miserable, and towards cold weather he failed right along. Though he had been a master strong man in his day, and his timbers held together well. Along late in the fall he had taken to his bed, and one day there came to the house a fellow named Sim Decker. A reckless fellow he was, too, who had gone out in the same ship with Ben. He pulled a long face when he came in, and said he had brought bad news. They had been taken prisoner and carried into port and put in jail, and Ben Dighton had got a fever there and died. "'You lie,' says the old man from the bedroom, speaking as loud and fierce as ever you heard. "'They hung him to the yard-arm.' "'Don't mind him,' says Andrew. "'He's wandering like, and he had a bad dream along back in the spring. I supposed he'd forgotten it. But the Decker fellow, he turned pale, and kept talking crooked while he listened to old Pelita scolding to him. He answered the questions the women folk asked him. They took on a good deal, but pretty soon he got up and winked to me and Andrew, and we went out in the yard. He began to swear, and then says he, "'When did that old man have his dream?' Andrew couldn't remember, but I knew it was the night before he sold the gray colt, and that was the 24th of April. "'Well,' says Sim Decker, on the twenty-third day of April, Ben Dighton was hung to the yard-arm, and I see him do it. Lord help him. I didn't mean to tell the women, and I suppose you'd never know, for I'm all the one of the ship's company you'd ever likely to see. He were taken prisoner, and Ben was mad as fire, and they were scared of him and chained him to the deck. 
and while he was sulking there, a little parrot of a midshipman came up and grinned at him, and snapped his fingers in his face, and Ben lifted his hands with the heavy irons and sprung at him like a tiger, and the boy dropped dead as a stone, and they put a bit of a rope round Ben's neck and slung him right up to the yard arm, and there he swung back and forth until as soon as we dared one of us climb up and cut the rope and let him go over the ship's side, and they put us in irons for that, curse him. How'd that old man in there know? And he bedridden here, nigh upon three thousand miles off, says he. But I guess there wasn't any of us could tell him, said Captain Lant in conclusion. It's something I never could account for, but it's true as truth. I've known more such cases. Some folks laughs at me for believing em. The captain's yarns, they calls em. But if you'll notice, everybody's got some yarn of that kind they do believe, if they won't believe yours. And there's a good deal happens in the world that's mysterious. Now there was Widder Oliver Pinkham over to the point, told me with her own lips that she... But just here we saw the captain's expression alter suddenly, and looked round to see a wagon coming up the lane. We immediately said we must go home, for it was growing late, but asked permission to come again and hear the widow Oliver Pinkham story. We stopped, however, to see the women folks, and afterward became so intimate with them that we were invited to spend the afternoon and take tea, which invitation we accepted with great pride. We went on fishing also, with the captain and Danny, of whom I will tell you presently. I often think of Captain Lant in the winter, for he told Kate once that he felt master old in winter to what he did in summer. He likes reading, fortunately, and we had a letter from him not long ago, acknowledging the receipt of some books of travel by land and water which we had luckily thought to send him. He gave the latitude and longitude of Deephaven at the beginning of his letter, and signed himself, Respectfully yours with esteem, Jacob Lant, condemned as unseaworthy. End of chapter 5